Hi, this is Mark, and welcome to episode 21 of Nerdology, sponsored by CSO, the cult fanzine. And my special guests today are Erica from the Verity Podcast and Stephen from Radio Free Scarrow. Hi, guys. Hi there. Hello. How are you doing? I'm excellent. I'm very happy to be here. I'm fantastic, and I thank you for inviting us on, Mark. Well, the pleasure is all mine. I've listened to you guys, well, certainly Stephen listened to you for years and years, and uh, I've been very much enjoying Erica's podcast as well. So uh, it's a real pleasure to have you guys on. Now, the reason I asked you on to the show is I kind of thought it would be quite cool to focus on um, something that was quite close to my heart, was movies that you enjoyed when you were a kid. And one that kind of cropped up in conversation between myself and Erica was The Goonies. Now, you haven't seen this film, have you, Stephen? Not I prior to recording. Until, yeah, I hadn't until about a week and a half ago, I think, we sat down and watched it. Mm-hmm. Uh, at, at which point, I think, I think I was included in the mix to get my fresh adult uh, <laughs> take on this children's <laughs> classic. But, of course, I think like a child most of the time anyway, so I, I very much connected with the film despite <laughs> seeing it for the first time in my late 30s. At first, you didn't think you were going to, though, because I it, long before we started talking about recording mm-hmm. and talking about The Goonies, I had mentioned it as, as one of the movies that I just loved and mm-hmm. Stephen really needed to see. And he was just like, I think it's too late for me. I feel like I'm an adult and... I it's probably not going to have the same ring for me. And I mentioned that to my dad, and he was incensed. He was like, I saw it as as an adult. I loved it. (laughs) Well, I think I based it on the fact, I remember 10-odd years ago, I was at work, and, and someone had discovered I hadn't seen Top Gun. Okay. Yet, uh, and it was appalled. It was, oh, we got to watch Top Gun. It's like you know the classic film of the 1980s. What was that? 86 or something like that. I think yeah. it was. And I watched it, and I just like, oh, what? You know, and I, <laughs> and I realized that that was probably a movie that needed to be seen in 1986. Yeah, I think that can be the age. problem. I mean, you you look back on mm-hmm. these things, and there is a danger of having those sort of rose tinted glasses when you look back at it, and having that nostalgia factor does allow you to forgive a lot of things, rather like a particular British science fiction show that you may possibly enjoy. Yeah, I think Goonies is a little different, though, because it is essentially a fantasy tale. Mm-hmm. And it, it it doesn't... I mean, there are definitely references that are somewhat dated, yeah. which are kind of laughable now. But not that much of the film rests on the 80s-ness of it. A lot of it is... I mean, they're talking about piratey times. Like, that was mm-hmm. that was old then. <laughs> I mean, one thing that strikes me watching this compared to perhaps something that might be made now is the kind of way they approach it. There's quite a lot of dark scenes in the in the story. I mean, it's it's got those sort of scary elements, which I'm not sure would be in a, like a mainstream kids movie these days. What do you guys think of that? I think you're probably right, although I haven't watched very many children's movies since I was a kid myself, mm-hmm. but I get the impression things are a little bit more whitewashed these days as far as the, the creep factor goes. However, it makes me think about some of the scarier episodes of Doctor Who these days and people mm-hmm. complaining, oh my gosh, this would have scared the, the crap out of me when I was a kid, but then you go back and watch Goonies and yeah, it is kind of dark. There's skeletons and stuff. Like, this is... Oh, it's not even that. It's, it's when... Um... I remember watching the scene where uh, the the kidnapped the, the villains of the piece mm-hmm. and Ramsey and um, 
the other Joey two. Pants. Joey Pants yeah. and the other I can't remember the other third guy's name, but where they they kidnap um, Chunk. I was gonna mm-hmm. call him Stink. Uh, Chunk. <laughs> I don't know why. I knew it was a five letter <laughs> word that ended in K. Um, and they're like physically torturing him yeah. and like p- putting his hand in a blender mm. and thinking, oh my god, this wouldn't get anywhere near a theater these days, you know? Like, well, they didn't actually blend his hand. They didn't, but they well, were threatening to. Mm-hmm. They know? put in a rubber um, blade in place of the real one. Ah. But uh, the actor still wasn't entirely convinced when he had to put his hand in the blender. Oh, wow. Yeep. <laughs> it's like it's like a children's scene version of the uh, Russian roulette scenes with Deer Hunter, really. I, I think they actually put an actual bullet in one of the guns. <laughs> to, 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 it, seriously, I think De Niro says, no, let's put a bullet in one of the guns just to ramp up the intensity as if it wasn't intense already. Oy vey. Yeah. I think something that appealed to me as a kid, I, I have to be honest, I don't think I was ever really a cool kid. Um, all the characters in this are kind of outsiders or slightly nerdy in their own way and I think that was kind of cool yeah I I could I mean I was it was I think I said to you Erica that it was it reminded me my overall impression if I had to come up with a a phrase to describe this movie is is Home Alone meets Raiders of the Lost Ark Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's just like you know if if kids wanted to it's like a lower level Raiders, you know, Indiana Jones, basically. And it's just it's just a great sense of adventure. And I think any kid who who thrived on adventure at that age, rather than just sort of being cool mm-hmm. or, you know, listening to the, the latest hit records and such, uh, and this this would have just sung to them. And, mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I watched it with – I mean, I loved this film. It was great. Even I, I was 38 when I saw it for the first time. <laughs> but there was just so – I mean, I love pirate ships. There's a big giant pirate ship in there and mm-hmm. stuff. And there's – you know, it's just – I, for some reason, I always thought that it was it was like a supernatural <laughs> movie. I don't yeah. know why you thought that. I don't know why either. I just assumed it was for some odd reason. And so, but it, it, there was you know a great adventurous element to it. Mm-hmm. Well, I think the I agree. Um, sorry, you carry I, America. I, I agree about the fact that they are kind of outcasts. They're just they're a you know ragtag band of misfits who go on an adventure, and that's that is just speaking my language right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it definitely spoke to me. I mean, you, Stephen, you mentioned about the whole sort of uh, Indiana Jones kind of mashup there with Home Alone. And Chris Columbus, who directed Home Alone, I think wrote the screenplay for um, Goodies. And, he did too, yeah. That's yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, Steven Spielberg produced the Goonies, although from what I hear, he did kind of get involved in the direction in certain points of it. So you've got a bit of a connection there. I mean, Dick Donner at that point was not exactly uh, a stranger to being able to produce a, a pretty decent movie. Um, he'd done Superman before that and uh, The Omen, which slight right. slightly different type of film. <laughs> <laughs> Just a little. <laughs> um, Still involved a kid. Well, yeah, that's true. And Patrick Troughton. Mm-hmm. Naturally. <laughs> it's always got to come back to Doctor Who. Uh, <laughs> Doesn't everything? Put three Doctor Who podcasts in a room, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, the, I kind of thought that one thing that may not translate quite so well today is the way they introduce... You've got the, the main bad guys, um, and they've got a, a sibling who has kind of, how are we going to put this in a PC way? Uh, He's got learning difficulties, and they've got him shackled up Mm. in a cell, which is pretty dark. Um, It is. Again, I'm not sure I could really see that happening in a modern 
kids movie. Yeah, you're right. I found there were definitely some sort of PC things that were a mm-hmm. little uncomfortable to watch from today's perspective. Yeah, um, definitely the the sloth stuff, mm-hmm. uh, and then also just the treatment of Chunk. Uh, yeah, when he's fir- when he first shows up, they make mm-hmm. him do the truffle shuffle before they yeah. let him in through the gate, and it's just it it kind of makes me think about the <laughs> sort of hierarchy of of nerds that mm-hmm. we have sort of been running into in in geek fandom as of late where you know some people get stepped on because they don't know all of the production codes say for doctor who or something so well, who, who would n- not nerd. know those <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so and and this is just they're all outcasts i mean mm-hmm. that's that's kind of the point of the goonies and yet chunk is clearly down a couple of rungs from some of the He's others the outcast of the outcast i know i just feel so bad for i him. do feel for I, the underdog and i think that's probably why i like him as one of them my favorite characters mm-hmm. from the movie I think a lot of people, I, I could get that a lot of people sort of sympathize him and, and like him because he's an adorable kid. But mm-hmm. yeah, it is, you know, he, they never let up about the fact that he's, that he's heavier than the rest of them. I mean, even when he gets out and mm-hmm. his parents greet him, they, they yeah. immediately feed him pizza. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's just like, oh, you know, it was, it just, it just shows how not that long ago we were still a fairly insensitive culture, you know. <laughs> uh, we, we had gotten over uh, maybe only just recently perhaps becoming, you know, more, more racially tolerant. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, um, Sloth and, and Chunk, who sort of become they kind of buddy up, be- don't they? Because they're a mm-hmm. relative outcast. Mm-hmm. I mean, the treatment of those two characters is just... A bit ludicrous, and but it, it's when you watch it, knowing that it came in 1985, yeah. you sort of look back and say, "Okay, well, this—it's it, a time capsule, you know, of how how we treated people back then, <laughs> and how how far we've come since then." And you do have to kind of take older films with a grain of salt when it comes to that. I mean, to, mm-hmm. because it was it was a different world. I know every time I watch Breakfast at Tiffany's, I completely cringe mm. at the uh, at the scenes with the. Uh, Mr. Yunioshi. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've been warned about I haven't seen that movie either. It's mm-hmm. on our list of movies, but yeah, Mickey Rooney and ooh. Yeah. As an Asian man, that just does not. Oh. But yeah, so this is sort of like a, a slightly less painful version of that kind of a feeling. And you run into that in old films kind of a lot. How do you feel the female characters came out of this? Oh, that was another area. Mm-hmm. It was just very. Very stereotypical, which, I mean, this is an adventure movie made in the 80s. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a kid's movie. So they are, of course, going to use certain beats throughout the film. Uh, And having the sort of damsel in distress kind of a thing is, that's a thing. I like that there are two (laughs) main female characters. And I do appreciate that uh, that Martha Plimpton's character is a little bit bit stronger. Mm -hmm. Um, She's probably the smartest one of the bunch. She really Mm -hmm. is. She's a little bit more... Uh, stable, I think, mm-hmm. but they also have her sort of made up being a little more tomboyish, mm-hmm. and yeah. that in itself is another sort of stereotype here that the, it's the tomboyish girl is the one that's strong. Where why why can't the more feminine one be the the strong one? But that's that wouldn't have happened in 1985. <laughs> Talking about uh, feminine characters being strong, the mother of the uh, the bad guys, the Fratellis. Wow, she's a pretty formidable mm-hmm. woman. That is true. <laughs> yeah, uh, it was funny watching her in this because the only thing I'd ever seen her in before was, of course, throw mama from, from a throw mama from the train. Yes, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, she's she's an awful, awful brute of a woman too. Yeah. She really unleashes when she smacks uh, 
the uh, the sun around the face. She doesn't mm-hmm. hold back. No, <laughs> probably not acting. Uh, and you were you were telling me that what Carrie Green, who was Andy, mm-hmm. she was the big heartthrob of the day. Was she, she was. So. I have several friends who still have a crush on her in this movie just because they saw her at this age, at that mm-hmm. age, mm-hmm. and were just yes, head over heels. I mean, it's quite a, so a cast, though. I mean, you've got likes of uh, Corey Feldman, who mm-hmm. was uh, pretty big in the eighties before he had a a few issues, right? Uh, and then. Um, Sean Astin? I mean, whatever happened to him? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, went, he went to Mordor and was never heard from again. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and you had, oh, uh, now my memory's cheating. The uh, Josh Brolin, are you? Yeah. Are you? Brian, yeah. yeah. Which I, I was astounded when I saw his name. I was like, which, which one is he? And, and, <laughs> and lo and behold, there he is. I don't know how old he was. He's probably in his probably slightly older than the rest yeah. of the cast at the time see to me he will just always be the older brother from the goonies he's and i'll nothing, call george w bush or anything like that nothing else that he has done since then like can move that out of my memory that's and, and actually sean astin even the whole time i was watching the lord of the rings trilogy i was just like mikey's going to mordor <laughs> <laughs> i mean uh other films from that sort of era uh you mentioned Erica before we were recording that you, mm-hmm. uh, one of the films you remember quite fondly was The Neverending Story. Mm-hmm. What, I, what was so special about that for you? I think, I think that there's kind of a, a running theme amongst the movies that really shaped my childhood the most. Mm-hmm. And I think they're all sort of escapist adventure excitement type movies mm-hmm. um, and often featuring characters who are kind of outcasts I mean here we have the goodies they're the, you know a bunch of misfits and in the never ending story Bastion the main character who sneaks away to read the book um, Stephen has also never seen that movie so I'll try to keep this <laughs> fairly spoiler free but he's also kind of a, a weird kid mm-hmm. who clearly doesn't have friends and he gets chased by bullies and put in the trash can and stuff this all happens in the first 10 minutes I'm not ruining okay. anything for you good uh, so and I, I just I really like the sort of escaping to be it a fantasy realm, like mm-hmm. in the Neverending Story, or or the Wizard of Oz, or something like that, or just to an underground cavern with a giant pirate ship that you wouldn't expect to be. I I love that kind of stuff. I mean, films from that time. I don't know. There was something magical about them. It's not that far away from in in terms of years from um, the original couple of Indiana Jones films, mm-hmm. and uh, as a young kid. I was just kind of getting to the age where I was able to go to the cinema and see these kind of movies and uh, they were just spellbinding, you know, the whole um, excitement of going to the cinema. It was just, these are, you know, really awesome movies. And it does feel like it was a, a bit of a golden age, but that's just because mm-hmm. I'm an old codger looking back at it. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it could be. Maybe, well, I it don't was know. A- I mean, I never saw um, Never Ending Story, of course, but it was a weird time in that mid-'80s where... You know, we talked about the darkness of the Goonies. Mm-hmm. It was just sort of, I mean, um, Temple of Doom, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom came out in 84. And, and it was like the first movie that sort of spurred on this PG-13 mm-hmm. rating in, in North America because it was just slightly t- too grim and graphic for kids. And even now I watch it, like, you know, it, it is kind of that and Gremlins at the same time. Oh, it's, yeah. It was also 84. And mm-hmm. it's it just, it, it almost like this is like the, the last few movies of that kind of approach mm-hmm. you know where where kids were put in real peril i mean you know you look at all these kids here or watching the, this the movie roll on here i mean where are their parents they're like oh mm-hmm. yeah. you know they're just 
they're they're you know I, I there's so much that wouldn't pass yeah um a censor board uh these days let alone that they're half of them are swearing all the time and well, uh, yeah that's another thing I mean, enough yeah if you watch it many many years after having seen it as a kid uh, somebody was talking about this the other day and they were saying how they watched ghostbusters which again was a similar sort of time frame and mm-hmm. they couldn't believe the amount of swearing in it they were like i don't remember this when i watched it originally so I guess yeah, it seems it seems odd that we've gotten sort of stricter about that mm. rather than loosening up. I guess the uh, the religious right has taken more control than I even realized. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. But no, I I actually do quite like the uh, the kids swearing and stuff, and they still use that in movies every once in a while these days. But uh, it doesn't seem to be used in kids' movies as no. much for no. for the comic effect. I mean, in a way, it grounds it in reality more because you know if you're in peril mm-hmm. and you're thinking you're going to die, you're not exactly going to stand there and say, oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And kids do swear. I mean, let's mm-hmm. face it. We did when we were kids. <laughs> you probably I'm, learned I didn't. I was a good boy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Neither did I. Okay, I am fine, crossing I my either. fingers as I say that. Yeah. <laughs> but no, it, that was, that was a, a good deal of, of the humor in the film. Watching it now, which I don't think I picked up on as a kid, uh, is probably some of the same things my dad liked at the time when I was watching it as a kid, just the, the kids with this sort of semi-adult humor, like breaking the, the, the penis off the statue when, they, <laughs> yeah. when it falls over and then gluing it back on upside down or talking about uh, turning the house into a sand trap. And, and Sean Astin says, and I hope they never get their balls out. Like, just, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't understand. I don't think I even knew what a sand trap was actually at that point. Uh, so I didn't. That whole joke went over my head. But now watching it, I'm just snickering. <laughs> <laughs> and the whole thing with the um, the Spanish maid, I thought that was really funny. <laughs> yes. And quite quite ironic when you think of what happened to Corey Feldman later. Oh yes. <laughs> Poor guy. A little extra weirdness there. That's funny. <laughs> I mean, around that same sort of time, you had the likes of Back to the Future. That was a real breakthrough movie, I felt. And again, you had a <laughs> similar sort one. of. It was aimed at a similar sort of age group, and and you had those similar sort of um, things cropping up, like the sort of language and things like that. But I mean, that was a great movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually remember seeing that in the theater. Mm-hmm. I do too. None yeah. of these, other, most of these other ones, I uh, I think I, we discovered after the fact because we rented a lot of movies on on VHS back in the day. Mm-hmm. But uh, my parents are big sci-fi geeks. That's how I started watching Doctor Who, mm-hmm. and um, of course, anything had to, having to do with time travel was like, yes, it's a family movie, let's go see it. So we went and saw all three of the Back to the Future movies in the theater, I think. Mm-hmm. I think uh, we certainly saw the first one. Um, I can't remember why. It was a family event, actually. We all went, and it was, that was kind of rare in itself. Maybe because I liked the car so much. And I, I was a big <laughs> fan of the Dukes of Hazard and uh, Knight Rider <laughs> and any other shows that had cars, and I just assumed that perhaps this DeLorean was uh, some crazy time crime-solving vehicle or something like that. But yeah, that was a bit of a formative one for me. Mm-hmm. Most most of my formative movies were the basic ones, like Star Wars. Like, that mm-hmm. was pretty much it. Star Wars and Doctor Who pretty mm-hmm. much ruled my life from age <laughs> 8 to 18. I didn't really delve into that much else. Um, I have so vivid <laughs> memories of Star Wars. My brother's four years older than me. And uh, back in 77, uh, I would have been... Four, so I was deemed too young to go and see it, and I was very upset because my brother mm. was older than me and he got to go and see it. So that I, that 
definitely. I uh, saw it in utero. I was actually my mom was <laughs> pregnant with me when Star Wars came out. I came out. I came out just after Star Wars did, and uh, so I, I experienced it that way for the first time. And I don't actually remember when I saw it again. It was just one of those things that was around because my parents mm-hmm. were such geeks that. Well, actually, it, it worked out in my favor in the end because uh, a few years later, when they brought out um, The Empire Strikes Back. I was just that little bit older, and back in the olden days, I don't think they really do it these days. Certainly not in the UK. You'd had a you'd have a double bill. No. Oh, so I got to see oh, Star Wars nice. and Empire Strikes Back back to back, which was pretty that cool. Reminds me of the night before I saw Return of the Jedi, which mm-hmm. is the first um, film I saw in the theater. And the night before, there's a double feature of uh, Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back, Ooh. and I to this day regret not going to that because oh. uh, I watched. Uh, there was a free movie channel that was that launched in February of '83 mm-hmm. here in Canada, and and they, it wasn't free; it was pay TV. But the the first month was free as a sort of introductory okay. offer, trying to sell the product. And they actually cut a deal with Lucasfilm that they had to show Star Wars three times a day for a whole month. Wow! And so I would go over to my friend's place and just play Star Wars toys, not really knowing what I was playing with, and mm-hmm. just looping Star Wars on this channel just over and over and I, I can't remember the, the first time I actually saw the movie from front to back I would just see bits and bits and come back and so I saw Star Wars that and based on that I wanted to see Return of the Jedi and I didn't see Empire Strikes Back until VHS in 1986 wow, wow. and all because I didn't go to that double feature in 1983 <laughs> well how much control did you have over your life in 1983 I was to be able eight to go? I yeah. was eight to be but I'm, I would have stamped my fist and feet and you know I was going to Return of the Jedi the next night I don't know why I didn't lobby to go <laughs> to the one before I mean Star Wars I think because of probably our sort of age group it is kind of like in in your dna uh mm-hmm. it's just always been there and uh i'm not sure return of the jedi stands up as necessarily the best of the the original three <clears throat> but uh <laughs> nope i think you know that even before mr lucas decided to go back and revisit and tweak and add in add digital effects and stuff they still look really good now yeah, and, and I now I have a hard time. You know, I look at Return of the Jedi, and yeah, there's some clunky elements to it, I suppose. Mm-hmm. But but because I, it was my it was my Star Wars movie, so to speak, I look at that so fondly um, that uh, and I think it may be more interested in space stuff mm-hmm. than perhaps Earthbound stuff. Like I never saw Ra- Raiders of the Lost Ark, any of them, till college. Wow, and so Goonies just was sort of thing uh, something that flew over me. Like mm-hmm. I was more drawn to the Last Starfighter, yeah, uh, something like that, and other space tastic uh, movies and TV shows at the time. So I never, I, I Goonies just never was a thing for me as a kid. I think I knew people who had might have seen it and mentioned it, but it was just sort of outside my my circle of uh, just watching it. <laughs> Another scene from this film. Oh, junk! What a, what a shame that kid's not acting anymore because it really is a tremendous. I think he's a lawyer now. Mm-hmm. He is, really? according to that's right Wikipedia or something. Yeah, yeah. I um I watched the they have a commentary track on the DVD. And yes, a, I wanted to watch it. I haven't seen it for years. Yeah. So I need to. It's really good because it it's a video one. It kind of they just mm-hmm. kind of bring them up on full screen every now and again, and it's kind of cool to see them all now as adults. So that's, that's re- kind of The one thing I remember from either from that or from some interview or something like that mm-hmm. was just talking about uh, the direction during the film that 
director was always saying, you know, big eyes, you know, yeah. like, telling them to open their eyes wider to make, you know, seem more excited and scared. And going back and watching it with that in mind, it's like, oh, yeah, you can see they are. Like, I mean, it must have been a nightmare to trying to control all those children on set. Oh, I, mean, I'm sure I can't it's... even imagine. That's the thing. That's the thing that, that's really stuck out at me is that the, the movie's a very loud movie and that there's a lot of things happening at the same time it's, mm-hmm. it's directed a lot different than a than a kids movie would today you know it's all like four or five kids in one shot mm-hmm. and they're all just doing their own thing for the most part you know like mm-hmm. and but it's such a natural way of doing it i mean the, the whole movie feels like actual kids actually talking to each other it doesn't feel like they're reading off a script or anything like that there's a great scene where sean astin goes on Oh, at the beginning in the attic? Yeah, in the about? attic oh. for about a minute. Yes, when he's talking about the, the one-eyed Willie and how his dad explained it to him and everything. And I, when we were watching this, I told Stephen right afterwards that that scene totally resonated for me because that is the way that my brother used to talk when he was little. He would just get so excited about something. Mm-hmm. He would just talk and talk and talk and talk and forget to breathe. And like at the end of it, it would just be super out of breath. And he was so excited. And it was... That was spot on. It was, there were some really good performances here. And his other his other big speech when they're uh, in the wishing well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, trying yeah. To decide whether to, this is to our go time. on or not. His speech about this is mm-hmm. our time mm-hmm. down here. It's their time up there. I, that speech just gets me every time. <laughs> and I've always said that someday I want to start a pop punk band and call it Troy's Bucket. <laughs> <laughs> not too many people will get it, but those that do will you be heard really it here excited. First, folks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think, you know, and I... I don't know if that's a that's a, a testament to the actors or to Richard Donner directing it, mm. like how that was, I, you know, the, the 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 amateur film critic in me uh, comes out when I watch movies like mm-hmm. this because I like to analyze how they're made and how they're how differently they're made today, and and I just you know wonder how many takes were were done for these or how much coaxing and directing before the cameras rolled or you know because it, it, it is one of the more most mm. natural series of kids performances I think I've ever seen and it's really it's really great to see and also I think it must be quite a stressful thing for a kid of that age to you know have a effectively a starring role in a in a massive budget movie it must be a lot of pressure and I think mm-hmm. I remember um Sean Astin saying that he he was advised by Dick Donner to go and just take a break from the set and just go off and just completely chill out and just relax and then come back when he's ready. And he said it kind Mm -hmm. of worked in reverse because all I could think of was all the other actors standing on set waiting for me to come back. Oh, Oh, no. (laughs) Poor guy. I think he kept Corey Feldman in check by um, promising him that Michael Jackson would turn up on the the set. (laughs) And he did. Did oh he my really? Goodness. Yeah, I didn't know. So how did uh, he swing that? Yeah, I, well, I think uh, he was friendly with um, Spielberg, oh, okay. and Corey Feldman had been pestering them to to get Michael Jackson to the set. And given Michael Jackson, you know, his Neverland Ranch, you know, the whole like he liked kid type mm-hmm. stuff. Without, I'm I'm not going there. <laughs> I'm just saying that that he was very interested in sort of the the childlike you know, wonder type stuff. Yeah. It seems like The Goonies would be a movie that would have been um, right up exciting yeah. um, just from a plot and a set standpoint. It sounded like a pretty regular thing by the end because they had uh, pretty much the whole Jackson family over there. And uh, they had them uh, watching them filming the... Do you remember the scene where they've got the the uh, piano keyboard that's made out of uh, bones? Mm-hmm. So, oh, yeah, that one, yeah. Yeah. Apparently that was quite a scary set to be on because it was about 40 feet up in the air. 
and they had all the cameras underneath sort of shooting them from below. So, you know, if you take a bit of a tumble and fall off that, you're not going to come off too well. Well, Especially when you're little as well. Yeah, that's the great thing about older films that I just love. You know, predate CG, obviously. So, you know, that pirate ship you're seeing is a full-size pirate ship. And, And there's no... There's no wires that you can paint out later on. There's just a certain realism to it all that just makes it that more mm-hmm. uh, intense. Yeah, that, that, I remember that scene with the, the floor giving out and, yeah. and mm-hmm. just thinking, "Yikes!" Like this, this, this looks some like some really rubber filmmaking. You know, it's. Uh, I, I love. I, I yearn for the days of practical effects. Mm-hmm. I just think it's, it's it's that was another fun thing about going back and watching this. If, if they made this movie now, it would be all CG. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It would just lose so much of the excitement and the heart, I think. It would. And I mean, there's, uh, I mean, um, uh, sloths make up, uh, <laughs> which, which are intrigued, but you know, his ears go, I think for, his ears move, <laughs> which I always thought perhaps that's why I thought he was alien or something like this. And this might, this might have cemented ah. the fact that I thought this was like some space movie when I was a kid, uh-huh. because you know, our ears don't move. Um, well, some people can move their ears a little really? bit. But they so. sort of, like, his, his sort of like twitches almost That's like, a, you know, mm-hmm. Jabba the Hutt's tail in a way, you know. It just sort of has this. That's true. Yeah, which I thought was kind of weird. But, mm-hmm. but you know, it's almost like they're, they're moving it to show that they could move it in a way, you know. It's like, look what we can do with animatronics. We can move <laughs> his ear. Because you had all the gadgets as well that uh, Data mm-hmm. Oh, right, yeah. With. They were fun. And how much fun must it have been to go down those water chutes? I always wished that there was a Goonies ride. Oh, yeah. um, Someplace, you know, because they have the Pirates of the Caribbean and all that rides. Actually, that was a ride first before it was a movie. But Mm -hmm. I just thought this would have been such a fun experience, one to wander around in and go down a water slide and stuff. But they never did. Missed opportunities, Mm that. Or if they did, I didn't know about it. Yeah. I love that the map is written in Spanish, mm-hmm. and when it's translated into English, it rhymes in English, but not Spanish. <laughs> oh. As if it was intended. It's one of those, it's perfect, like, it's just, it's ridiculous, and the kind of nitpicky thing that usually bothers me, but it's it's a kid's movie, and they're just <laughs> trying to make it so cute and adorable. Right. It just, it warms the cockles of my heart. <laughs> well, I, I, will, I will question one thing at this. Uh, um, why is it set in Astoria, Oregon, which is in the Pacific Northwest, mm-hmm. uh, somewhere where pirate ships have no business being? <laughs> That's what I always thought so odd about it um, mm-hmm. when I was watching it. It's like, is this really Astoria? It looks like the Northwest. Is this maybe in Texas or something? You know, <laughs> somewhere near the Caribbean? No, it's not. But whatever, niggling little details. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that I think those like nitpicks there are actually just make it funnier and weirder. Like it's just sort of, it, it's that much more surreal. I love the soundtrack. Oh um, yeah. Yeah. I, that, that the Cindy Lauper song, mm-hmm. Goonies are good enough. Yeah. So cute. It's just such a, Oh, it's just such it's a very much at the time, isn't it? Yes. Eighties song. And it just fits the excitement of the movie. It's, it's an, ad- fun adventure you know we're off on an adventure kind of mm. a, a song and they filmed a video kind of... as well with wwf wrestlers not entirely sure quite where I they don't... fit in but i, I think remember. captain oh captain lou albano and uh the guy with the rubber bands on his face <laughs> That's him. Mm-hmm. yeah he had uh he, he had a connection for some reason uh, with yeah. cindy lopper because he played her he dad in, in the, the girls just want to have fun video yeah, yeah. so i so she okay. i don't know 
yeah, I don't remember the video very well. I just remember the the excitement of mm-hmm. the movie, and then just the the soundtrack or the score actually is is pretty good. Mm-hmm. It, it's got what I like to refer to as um, sparkly sounds, which are, you know <laughs> those kind of like twinkly sort of synthesizer sounds which you hear in movies like that and in Labyrinth and mm-hmm. um, a lot of the sort of kids movies of the time. I just that kind of stuff goes straight to my heart, and it's it's an immediate sense of wonderment when i hear that particular kind of sound Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i mean there is talk of a goonies sequel yeah they've been talking about it for so many years though i've kind of given up at this point Mm -hmm. but that would be so wonderful i don't even care how bad it is i just want to see it (laughs) like to have what like the original cast meet up again or something or or that was what they were talking about yeah Um, i don't know how that would work i mean at some point Maybe you'd have to have their kids or something going off on an adventure. Or mm-hmm. I, I, I think when they first had talked about it, it was sort of when when they were all kind of more in their in their prime, so to speak. <laughs> uh, now everybody's kind of they're getting maybe a little old for the uh, adventure kind of thing. I think it might have actually worked to have them doing an adventure when they were all say in their twenties or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but at this point. I don't know. I'd still watch it, though. Hey, why why can't grown-ups have an adventure like that? Well, I think it would probably turn into be, I said, Home Alone meets Raiders of the Lost Ark. It would be like old dogs meeting Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> I don't know what that is. The John Travolta, oh, Robin yeah. Williams, motorbike uh, uh, gang, mm-hmm. but yeah. <laughs> okay, that passed me by completely. It I'm, sounds terrible, okay but believe it. it or not, it was a hit with older crowds. Or so, the Expendables. Uh, or the Expendables, that kind of thing, you know. I don't know what that is either. That's all those, that's, <laughs> that's a lot of old movies. 80s kind of oh, action right, heroes right. all getting their Zimmer frames out and blowing stuff gotcha. up. Mm-hmm. There you go, yeah. It's kind of like if, if action movie people did uh, an 11 Doctors special or something for the 50th anniversary. Mm. That kind of thing. I see. Yeah. No, I, I think, I mean, as I said, I've, I've only seen it the one time, but I think the, the reason that so many people look at Goonies as being such a such a landmark of their of their childhood. Mm-hmm. There was only the one. Yeah. And there was always that desire for more and the fact that they'd ever mm-hmm. made another one is probably why it stands up so well. You know, mm-hmm. everyone talks about maybe Gremlins or something, but no one ever seems to talk about Gremlins too, from no, what that's I true. understand. <laughs> Although you know, that's being remade again now apparently. Is it really? Mm-hmm. Really? Oh dear. But they haven't remade Goonies. In a way that's almost surprising. Good. Yeah. I hope they don't. I really hope they don't. I want it to just stand on its own. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like the uh, the movie equivalent of Terror of the Zygons. Well, until now, because now they're going to bring them back again. <laughs> right. Mm, not entirely sure about that. Right. I, I get the suspicion that because they announced it so early that I think that's maybe a red herring and they're not going to be a major mm-hmm. part in it. And perhaps they're obviously it will cost them a bit for the costumes, but I think they'll probably come back in season eight. And they're just going to make like a little cameo in the in the fiftieth. I could be wrong. I do hope you're right. That does sound like something they would do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think <laughs> I bet you David Tennant probably said, "Okay, I'll come back on one condition. <laughs> I want Zygons." Mm-hmm. The th- throwing him a bone. Yeah. <laughs> well, I can't believe we've been on this uh, recording so far, and we've not even mentioned the fact that. Matt Smith is going to be leaving Doctor Who. <laughs> I know. How did we go so long? We've held that? off this long. Well, we've held off this long. We've re- I've already talked about it on Radio Free Scar oh, this morning. Okay. <laughs> Eric will be talking about it later today on Verity. So uh, that's true. Although honestly, I 
I am an old school Doctor Who fan. Mm -hmm. I've been through this a lot of times. Yeah. So I don't really have any strong emotions one way or the other about it. My my gut reaction when I saw that was actually excitement, mm -hmm. which surprised me because I adore Matt Smith. I love him so much. Um, Tom Baker, I think, will always be my doctor because yeah, that's the, me too. the one I grew up with. Mm -hmm. But boy, oh boy, Matt Smith comes real close to uh, to supplanting him. And I, I love him so much. But I was still really excited about the, the thought of getting a new doctor yeah. because that's that's the nature of the show it changes and i think that's wonderful and you know i didn't think that i would like the new guy any better than david tennant mm -hmm. and then here's matt smith prove me wrong so who knows maybe whoever they get next will be someone i fall in love with even more than i did matt smith anything's possible and if not well i'll wait a few years and somebody else next. will come along yeah mm -hmm. i think I he think did I the was, right i was oh, sorry go ahead no go ahead mark i was gonna say i think he did the right thing in bowing out while he was still popular whereas i do feel mm -hmm. that david tennant slightly outstayed his welcome you know he he was on a real high by the end of season four and then you had that whole series mm -hmm. of specials, specials in inverted commas yeah and it, i don't know i just it felt to me like it was just being dragged out and it, it lost a little bit of the shine for me there's something to be said for going out on a high note. And I mm -hmm. think that that's exactly what Matt Smith is doing because I have been super excited about Series 7B. I've loved it so much. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I think it's it's a very strong way to go out. I know everybody doesn't agree with me, but you know, everybody, every doctor is somebody's favorite doctor. Every episode is somebody's favorite episode. So, I've enjoyed the variety this year. I think it's... Um, I know some friends of mine tend to prefer... A sort of a more structured continuity and a more of a theme throughout i know you've had the sort of the references to the old series and what have you but i think it's nice to have these more standalone episodes rather than necessarily having to have an arc because it gives you a little bit more variety when you're watching mm -hmm. yeah i think so and uh it depends on the quality i think there's one or two that i didn't quite like at this past half series and, mm -hmm. and oddly enough i think my, probably nightmare and silver is when matt smith's didn't quite hit the mark. Mm -hmm. I, that's you know, how I feel. Probably mm -hmm. for the first time as the Doctor. Then he brings it right, but but even like at that point, it's like, hmm, maybe I'm, maybe I'm not. You know, I, I don't want to see him go, but I'm just thinking like <laughs> maybe he's maybe he's reached the end of what he can potentially do. But then he provided just a probably one of his best performances in the name of the Doctor yeah. the next week. Yeah. Uh, and so I think I was struck by sad resignation mm -hmm. that this is what happens in Doctor Who is that doctors leave you know and it, it it's just hard to believe that it's been you know three years uh four years i guess if you look at it four calendar years and and mm -hmm. and almost five yeah by the time he leaves when when he was announced he was announced in january of 2009 mm -hmm. and we had to wait a whole year to actually finally see him in the role so it was just a momentous build-up and and uh, depending on who the new guy or girl will be, uh, <laughs> like that actor will be announced in I think August or September or something like that, mm. and we won't see that person for another year because it yeah. looks like uh, Series Eight will come in uh, in the fall of 2014. So it'll be it, it's it's a you know it, it's strange. I was saying to Warren on the podcast today mm -hmm. is that uh, um, you know we've Radio Free Scar has been going for almost seven years now, and and we've you know. David Tennant was the only doctor we knew, and then Matt Smith came along, and now he, you know, his entire tenure has existed within the confines of mm. Radio Free Scarrow's <laughs> timeline, and it just, it just feels weird to be talking yeah. about a new doctor again when, as a kid growing up, uh, for us, and taking it back to um, 
you know, movies and television mm-hmm. series of her childhood. Uh, um, a kid growing up here in North America, every Saturday night was Doctor Who, and so you would just loop around. And you know, the Colin Baker era was eleven weeks in the summer of nineteen eighty nine for me, <laughs> and then it was Sylvester That's McCoy the best for another way to twelve enjoy weeks. It. many people many people will go back so it's weird to sort of have a doctor in real time and it just it doesn't feel like it's enough for some Mm -hmm. reason because he hasn't been on the screen 12 months a year and so i think it says a lot about his contribution that it's really hard to you know you we've got one example there with nightmare and silver what you could pick at but you know he's been so consistently good right the way across the board even if the stories aren't always Mm-hmm. as good as we'd hope them to be he's always mm-hmm. on the ball he really knows how to deliver a really great performance yeah and he's constantly surprised me yeah you know he doesn't he'll he just does the unexpected uh mm-hmm. which i i like you know that that's what kept his performance fresh every single week is that he would just he just wondered what he was going to do and I, mm-hmm. right from the get-go i remember him like doing stuff in the background in the 11th hour and time of angels like his first stories that he actually recorded mm-hmm. and he's just doing these weird stuff in the background just to show that he's still there and sort of like <laughs> holding books up to his ear and stuff you <laughs> yeah. know like just these That's weird right. natural eccentricities that uh, that only mm-hmm. tom baker had really before him it'll it'll be it'll be weird because you obviously can't go in that same path as mm. matt smith you have to go different yeah um so There's it, lots of the speculation. New... I mean, the, oh, no, the same not names at all. I can't imagine. <laughs> I know it's ridiculous. Uh, I don't think. I think it will be another person who's relatively unknown. I hope so. I think Actually, that's the one way thing I wanted to, to say about Matt Smith's quirkiness and sort of him putting himself into the character mm-hmm. is a good thing, and I think it's worked out really well most of the time. But I feel like. Maybe we're crossing into territory around now that it's starting to make me a little bit squeamish. Mm. Um, and I don't know I don't know how much truth there is to this, but I have heard people say that some of the the random kisses that we have seen mm-hmm. in this uh, last series or two have been not so much in the script, but just Matt Smith, one of, one of his random things that he improvises. And I am not liking that at all. And not just from a, I prefer an asexual doctor mm-hmm. sort of a stance, which that is how I feel, but it's just, it doesn't, I don't know. It just seems kind of weird and it, it doesn't quite resonate with the way that I feel like he's been playing the character most of the way along. So I, I wonder if maybe we're getting to the point where he's just feeling so comfortable he's putting too much of himself into it. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's maybe this is an extra good time for him to, to move along. Or maybe, you know, for any actor, I know I'm sure he's very happy to be working, but any actor who stays in a, a, the same role for a, a quite a decent length of time no matter how good you are, you're probably going to start to get bored. And maybe mm-hmm. that's just a sign of that. Maybe, I don't know. Could be. Yeah, as I said on Verity, I think last week, I just I just don't want to see... I didn't, thinking he was going to be back for Series 8, mm-hmm. I just didn't want to see him come back with a cabbage on his shoulder <laughs> as a companion. So we've stopped him just before Tom Baker's recent, you know, mm-hmm. later excesses in the uh, right. Graham Williams era right. took fruit is what you're saying. Although I, I do have to admit that that's kind of my favorite Tom Baker era. But but still, I don't know I that that would that. necessarily translate. <laughs> yeah, it'd be weird. It'd be weird to have a modern day Douglas Adams, Graham Williams era in Doctor Who. What do you think of the timing as well? I don't, I don't well? think I'd go for it. What do you think What's of the that, timing uh, as well? Because um, Stephen Moffat 
eventually at some point will move on. So does this mean that he's going to be staying for a few more seasons yet if he's going to be introducing a new lead actor? Well, he's staying on certainly for Series 8, mm. but um, it does give you that impression. It's rare for, a, uh, um, in this day and age anyway, mm. for a, a outgoing producer to cast a doctor mm. for someone else to write for. Unless that's already been neat. chosen. Maybe this, yeah. they're changing everything. Yeah, you know, uh, like it has like Barry Letts did it. Mm. <laughs> Gave Philip Hitchcock the best gift he could ever give oh, yeah. by casting Tom Baker yeah. as he walked out the door. Mm-hmm. You can um, imagine anyone coming in fresh as a new uh, producer <laughs> is going to want their own guy or girl. Yeah, so so I don't know if if a Moffat is going to write series eight and leave at the end and sort of shepherd in a new um, mm-hmm. uh, executive producer showrunner. Uh, to take over after him. So do a Barry Letts where he kind of shadows the new guy. Yeah, kind of. Uh, or he stays on for longer, like for two or three years or something, and or, or perhaps two years at least, and, and, and allows maybe for someone to sort of spring up, oh, yeah, I really like this new guy. Let's. I'd like to, you know, take take the 12th Doctor into, uh, mm-hmm. into the, for the next few years. Who knows? I mean, you know, obviously everyone's going to speculate it's going to be Mark Gatiss. As the next mm. showrunner, that's been mooted about since about two thousand and seven, I think. I'm just excited to see series eight. I really like the idea of seeing Moffat do a different Doctor. Yeah. See what he does with that. I want to know. And honestly, I would have been happy had it been the other way around too. If if Matt Smith had been staying and Stephen Moffat had decided to move on and we got a different showrunner, mm-hmm. I just I really like the idea of shaking things up a little bit and and doing different pairings. I'm sure that there is a a parallel universe out there that's very close to our own where it's the opposite that's happening, and I want to go visit and see what happens. <laughs> I think there is a, a fairly vocal minority who aren't very keen on Stephen Moffat's production style or writing mm-hmm. style, what have you. Um, but I think he's done a really decent job of holding it together. But I, I do agree there's probably a finite time span where someone even as good as him can start to sort of not necessarily run out of ideas, but start sort of retreading the same ground again. He does have a tendency to reach back into that same sort of bag of, of tricks. He's, he's as I have been known to say before, he's kind of a little bit like the Taco Bell of Doctor Who. It's the same seven <laughs> ingredients, but, you know, mixed up and, and put out in, in different ways. And I, I love Taco Bell. I think it's all delicious. So that is not, in no way an insult. I think it's fantastic. Oh, but I, yeah, eventually he'll I know we're going for lunch today. Yeah. <laughs> Can we? Yeah, okay. <laughs> Uh, but I, I, I think you're right, though. After a certain point in time, it, it, he'll. It, I mean, he, he might be tired at this point already, and maybe he is just sticking around and, and hopefully shepherding in someone new. But what a thankless job that is. Mm-hmm. I mean, that position is just. Even the people who love you complain about you all the time. I mean, having and then read. There are the people who yeah. hate. Yep. Having read uh, Russell T. Davis's book, the, his kind of uh, diary of his time in charge of the show. It does look like a the job from hell in one respect because there's so much mm-hmm. to it. But he wasn't running another show alongside it. I mean, Stephen Moffat's got uh, Sherlock. Admittedly, he splits the duties with Mark Gatiss, but it must be a hell of a lot of work. I would be super, super burned out by this point, I think. I don't know how he does it. Well, I, I think what might keep it fresh, I mean, what uh, RTD's era, mm-hmm. uh, when he was doing the regular series, it was always... Much to Ian Levine's delight, uh, <laughs> thirteen episodes and a Christmas special. You know that was mm-hmm. the established format. Yeah, and I don't think it was necessarily how much how much 
these split seasons and other things are, are Moffat's idea or if it's just the BBC's. But I think the different approach, I mean, Series 5 was Moffat's first, and that was the only, you know, that sort of followed right on from the RTD model mm-hmm. of 13 episodes in a year. Then we had a split season over, you know, over the course of one calendar year, and then yeah. this one was split up over a few months. And now in the next one, who knows what it's going to be like. So there's always been a different approach to how you deal with the stories. And, you know, a 13-episode series, you almost have to kind of have a, a running arc that mm-hmm. people remember week after week after week. But with, like, five in September and eight more mm-hmm. in May, you mm-hmm. can sort of split up into the little mini things. And maybe that sort of helps him. Yeah, I, I guess it takes him the pressure off. Right. And I, yeah. I have heard from a fairly reliable source that it was actually, that's Moffat's choice, not the BBC's Is choice. Is it really? So. Okay. Mm-hmm. I always figured I there might have been some sure, sort of but... monetary... Mm-hmm thing going on there as well with sort of budgets being spread over two years rather than over one year or something like that the person i talked to sort of poo-pooed that idea hmm. so hmm, i don't know but then again you never know <laughs> so apart from forcing poor Stephen to watch the goonies <laughs> is there anything else that you could recommend to our listeners that you've enjoyed recently Actually, yes. I, I have been spending the last few weeks here in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada mm-hmm. with Stephen, and I've started doing something I never thought I would. Uh, he, I have made him watch The Goonies, yes, but mm-hmm. he convinced me to start playing Lego Batman, the video game. <laughs> cool. And I'm not a huge uh, gamer of that ilk. I, mm-hmm. I like RPGs, the more okay. sort of character-based um, sort of thing. Not, anything that requires skill is usually beyond me. So, <laughs> But I've been watching him play for days and days and uh-huh. days on end. And finally, I was like, okay, fine. I will, I will try playing with you. And I found I really, really like it. It's just a fun thing to do together. <laughs> so if, if you were like me and were sort of turning up your nose at, uh, at the Lego-style uh-huh. games, uh, I recommend finding someone to play with hmm. and, and trying it out. Because I can't imagine playing it by myself. Hmm. I feel like at this point that would seem really lonely since I've only done it along with Steven. But it's really fun. Steven, I had no idea yeah. that you are interested in Lego. <laughs> I know it's astounding. It's it's a it's a it's a it's a well kept secret. So yes. I thought, yeah. No, it's it's been it's been fun. And and you said, Erica, that you wouldn't have felt this way about like Lego Lord of the Rings. No, I actually I did try playing Lego Lord of the Rings mm-hmm. the last August when I was visiting. Uh, no, it was December. December, yes. And I couldn't get into it, and I think that that's because I had such an investment emotionally in the characters because lord of the rings is one of my favorite things of all time mm-hmm. i used to read the entire trilogy and the hobbit every single year for about 12 years in a row that's hard as i was growing up yeah so i i had trouble with the movies because they weren't like the books mm-hmm. is not enough for me and i'm a purist and all that so the lego games were even farther removed and i i I had a little trouble. I just couldn't get into it. But but Batman, I I enjoy comic books, but I've never really liked the superhero comic books all that much. Mm-hmm. I know enough about them to get some of the inside jokes. Yeah, but they I do have a have sort of tongue in cheek humor, don't they? The mm-hmm. Lego games. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I don't want tongue in cheek humor with Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. Like that's not okay. That's serious. <laughs> that is serious stuff, guys. That's history. You it may be happened. disgusted to learn this, but um, I used to read Lord of the Rings every Christmas when I was a teenager. I've got mm-hmm. the sort of hardback edition with them, you know, all three books together. Um, and the only way I could get through it was to skip past all the bits where they break into song <laughs> or go into poem because that would just drive me round the twist. I, I admit that I, I, 
I, I did kind of skim those bits ah, okay. sometimes. Um, I still read every word. I just read them really fast until I got back to the, the pages and pages of description, which is what I was really excited about. I think he, he writes in quite an unusual way because he's got this, it's almost like um, a script for a film. You've got these sort of various narratives going on and he likes to split them up. So you start mm-hmm. investing into the characters that are running along one storyline and just as you get to a pivotal point, he pushes you in a totally different direction and follows another strand of the story. And I think it works really well. Mm-hmm. I love books like that. Mm-hmm. So, Stephen, any, any recommendations yes. for you? Well, I like I like um, I'm having a blast with Lego Batman. I've played the game before, mm-hmm. uh, and so, but it was a couple years ago, perhaps. And now we're playing on an Xbox, and it's it, it probably once we hit stop recording on this, we'll probably go and purchase uh, Lego Batman Two, <laughs> uh, which I've never played before, and and that'll be our game. Um, well, other things that we've been doing since Eric has been here is that we've, we we have a list of, of shows and movies that we are we each want the other to watch. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a very uh, important part of any marriage, of course, yeah, of course, naturally <laughs> indoctrinate so, the other. To yeah, our media. Goonies was on, was one of the movies on the list, and and uh, most of mine are TV series because okay. I like TV shows more than movies, and and we've just sort of started to scratch the surface a little bit. I. I watched uh an episode of hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy oh, awesome. with her uh, not not awesome didn't quite sit <laughs> oh, as well with her yeah. as i would have hoped um but i'm i'm holding out hope uh we've watched two episodes so far of the tripods oh uh which um when i think about it is is the television version of my goonies really because that that was i watched that in my mid-teens i think and i was just caught up in it mm-hmm. Um, so much uh, that it holds such a so many wonderful memories watching that show and and I've you know it's it's I barely uh, for a while I didn't even have the series uh, apart from some mm-hmm. awful VHS recordings and of course it came out on DVD a couple of years ago so because of the timey wimey way these things work I would have watched that when I was probably ten or eleven or something like that because it probably didn't make it over to you guys for a little bit after that. but um... No, I watched it in a summer of 90, I think it was, mm. 90 or 91, I think it was, when I first saw it mm-hmm. uh, on YTV here in Canada. And and and, uh, and Erica borrowed the books uh, last mm-hmm. year mm-hmm. and read them, the original b- books from John Christopher, and, and, and you liked them. Well, oh, very much. Yeah, very much. Mm-hmm. yeah th- that kind of story, that's another sort of escapist. Mm-hmm. You know, it's And that... Also, that one is post-apocalyptic, which is right up my street. Mm-hmm. I love post-apocalyptic right. stuff. Uh-huh. So, so yeah, I'm really enjoying the, the tripods. So coming yeah. from a, a background of both being classic Doctor Who fans, mm-hmm. you could probably appreciate sometimes the, the ideas rather than necessarily the, the way it's presented on screen. Actually, honestly, I enjoy the way that it is presented on screen because I'm a Doctor Who fan. I, I understand that type mm-hmm. of low-budget BBC-style filmmaking. So I I kind of like the, the somewhat janky special effects. And, <laughs> and that was my favorite part of watching The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Was uh-huh. I just I, I appreciated that. Yeah, the, the, the BBC-ishness of it, um, even though I didn't particularly like the uh, script or... Oh. most of the actors or i just i'm not a douglas <laughs> adams fan i'm sorry oh i oh, never well. have been it's not, not for everyone i guess but uh, we went mm-hmm. to they did a, a reunion of the original radio cast um mm-hmm. they did a, a touring version of that i think they're going to north america at some point as well if they haven't already been and oh, that right. was great fun and they'd have a, a guest uh voice of the book because the, the original actor is sadly no longer with us Mm-hmm. And uh, Jones, yeah. yeah, Neil Gaiman was was one of them, which is uh, 
yes, pretty I cool. Remember that. Mm-hmm. that sounds familiar now that you mm. talk about it. Yeah, that was great fun. And they had uh, live Foley as well, so you got these guys there doing all the sound effects on stage, That's which is neat. quite fun. Oh, no way. So if you get please a chance to Patty, check that out. Yeah, please tell me Patty Kingsland was there doing the music as well. Oh, <laughs> uh, no, but they had, uh, oh, Dirk Mags. Do you remember Dirk Mags? I don't actually Ooh, know. He was involved in a lot of BBC Radio, um, a lot of the, the big stuff, and he was very heavily involved in Hitchhikers on the radio. Oh, cool. And he's got a rock band that comes out on stage, and they launch into One of These Days by Pink Floyd. <laughs> right. Which, of course, has got that slightly little sort of Doctor who bit in the middle of it. Indeed, yeah. Um, and that goes down a storm. So, yeah, it's definitely worth checking out if you get a chance to see it. I think they're touring again this year. Oh, very cool. So thank you both very much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank well, you for having us. Yeah, this thanks, is lovely. Mark. It was a lot of fun. Thank you. And uh, if you want to check out their shows, we've got Radio Free Scaro and The Memory Cheats. We didn't even mention The Memory Cheats. No, but we talk about that all the time on, uh, on Blue Box Podcast, it seems. <laughs> so. And, of course, the fantastic Verity Podcast. Yes, thank you. Do you want to give it a plug, Erica? Uh, sure, yeah. Verity Podcast is uh, myself and five other women from across the globe who all deeply adore Doctor Who, mm-hmm. talking about it. We usually have about four of us on every week. It's kind yeah, of it's a rotating, rotating cast, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, uh, now that the new series episodes are, are done, we will be going sort of a proper episode every other week with some extra stuff kind of mm. um, filling in the blanks. So cool. every Wednesday you'll get something from us. And it's, uh, it's pretty exciting. Excellent. Well, thank you both so much for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure, and tune in again next time for more Nerdish Meanderings.